Good morning. It's good to see so many of you here in the South Hills this morning. As always, we want to welcome all of you who are joining us right now online. So as we mentioned, um, Rick and Maria did in the announcement video that you just saw in that video, we are excited for REACH 2023, the, the vision we believe that God has for the next three years as we look forward. And, and it is a vision that involves all generations of our church. We are a multi-generational church. And this next three years, it has a heavy focus on the next generation. So I want to uh, especially uh, urge the group, if you are a next generation parent or grandparent and you have yet to sign up for a meeting, we invite everyone to come to a meeting, but specifically you. We haven't had a ton of uh, next generation parents attend yet. Sign up as you want to see uh, the plans that we believe uh, God has for us over the next three years to come to a meeting. We have them after services. We do Zoom. We try to accommodate all schedules. You can sign up by biblechapel.org slash reach2023, or you can text reach2023 to 31996. Uh, one more announcement for the next generation as well is we're starting to max out this service, the 11 o'clock. So we're looking more ways to accommodate uh, specifically families uh, with children. So we're opening up children's ministry to Saturday nights now as well. We've been having them at 9 and 11. Starting uh, next weekend, you could come to uh, church on Saturday at 5 p.m. and children Children's ministry will be open starting at 4.30. We're so thankful for our children's team and all those who serve our kids. So we're excited to add Saturday service for children as well. So families, another option for you on the weekend. So let's pray and ask God to lead us this morning. Father, we thank you for today. And Lord, as we, we just sang as one church, we are here for you to praise the Father, praise the Son, and praise the Spirit three in one. God, every time we meet, we come with expectation that you want to teach us, you want to shape us, you want to develop us as followers of Jesus Christ. So God, we ask that you would teach us as only you can. Therefore, let the words that come out of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, that they would be honoring and pleasing to you. So Father, we just commit this time of your word into your hands in Jesus' name. Amen. So in 2017, Pew Research Center did an extensive national survey, and it was focused on this one simple yet profound question. Where do you find meaning in life? They provided a list of 15 options to those they surveyed, and here's a quick summary they say of the results. The most commonly cited sources that provide Americans with a great deal of meaning and fulfillment after family, family was by far the highest percentage, include being outdoors, spending time with friends, caring for pets, and listening to music. By this measure, religious faith ranks lower on par with reading and careers. Let that sink in for a moment. For many Americans, caring for pets and listening to music, good things, but for many, that ranks higher in finding meaning than their relationship with the living God. I want to ask you this morning that question, where do you find meaning in life? 
And as you reflect on that question, is the answer that comes to mind, let me ask you this follow-up. Do your daily actions back up your answer? If someone would observe how you live your life, do your daily actions back up your answer? Today we're continuing our journey through Scripture that we have entitled His Story, God's Story, My Story. Today we're picking up 40 years Later, from where we left off last week, today we are in the book of Deuteronomy. Last week we were in the book of Exodus where we saw through God's story of of Moses, he delivered his people Israel after 400 plus years of slavery in Egypt. At this point, as recorded throughout the book of Numbers, the Israelites have just spent 40 years wandering in the desert due to disobedience and not trusting God to provide the provision to conquer the long-awaited promised land. Only uh, Joshua and Caleb from that old generation are permitted with the next generation to enter the land. They were the only two of those 12 spies who trusted God to provide the conquering of the land. So at this point in God's story through Israel, this next generation is camped out in the plains of Moab. They are east of the Jordan River, just across the river from the city of Jericho. They are ready to take hold of that long-awaited promised land. And before they do, through a series of sermons by Moses in the book of Deuteronomy, God reminds them of a few things before they enter that land. The first few chapters is a quick overview of how God reminds this next generation of how he provided for them to this point during that time in the wilderness to reach this point in their history. And then for the second time, God extensively lays out his law. And that's why the the word Deuteronomy literally means second law. He provides the law again. Then towards the end of these sermons, Moses commissions his successor, Joshua, before delivering a final blessing before Moses' death. And at the, the end of these sermons... Moses delivers a commissioning sermon before he he sends off and hands the keys to Joshua. If we look at this section of God's story through Deuteronomy, there's a clear theme woven throughout the book. And here's the theme. Of all the things God has provided for Israel, the great provider in Deuteronomy reminds his people how to love him. He reminds this generation what it looks like to love their God. 1,500 years later, from this moment in God's story, Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, the long-awaited Messiah of Israel, walked this earth. And when the Pharisees, the religious leaders of that day, tried to test him and trick him on the law and ask him, what is the greatest commandment? He, he takes all the, the law and, and sums them up in two commandments. And many of you know this verse. He says this in Matthew 22, verse 37. He said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. All these commandments depend on, depend all on the law and the prophets. Jesus says, 
The greatest commandment has not changed from the one God gave the next generation of Israel 15 years earlier. Jesus quotes directly here from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Going back to the opening question, where does one find meaning in life? I believe scripture is clear to find ultimate meaning in this life is to love the Lord your God, to have an intimate relationship with him. Today, to, to break that down, well, how does that, what does that practically look like in the life of an individual? We're going to look at Deuteronomy chapter 30, and there's two verses. At the end of this sermon, after he renews the covenant with Israel, Moses gives this final charging sermon. He says these few profound things before he hands the keys to Joshua. I believe these two verses in Deuteronomy sum up well what it looks like to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might. And they are verses 19 and 20. Look at Deuteronomy 19 and 20. Moses commissioning Israel says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today. Moses says, my conscience is clear. I stand before God, I stand before you, that I have given you everything you need, next generation. And he says this, I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. As you enter this promised land, I have made it clearly how to receive the blessing of God or to face the consequence like your parents' generation. He says this, therefore choose life. It's in your hands now. Choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give to them. We're going to break down verse 20 specifically on what it looks like to love God. But I want to start with this phrase. We see it in Deuteronomy 6. We see it in Deuteronomy 30. And we see it 240 times in this book. Lord your God. Roughly 400 times that phrase appears in Scripture. Over half is right here in the book of Deuteronomy. God is drilling down with this next generation of Israel. I am the Lord your God. Never forget that I chose you, Israel. I am the Lord your God. In your Bible, it's all caps. It's the old, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew proper name for God, Yahweh, the self-existent mighty creator. He's reminding this generation, the I am of Abraham and Jacob and Isaac, of Moses who called him to deliver you from Egypt. I am your God. I am your God. I am your God. 240 times, I am your God. He's drilling down in their minds. The God of the universe is your personal God. I want to pause in Israel's story to look at our stories for a moment and start right there. Can you say with integrity of heart, that the Lord is your God. Is the Lord your God? Meaning, 
Do you live in proper relationship with him? Do you even have a relationship with the living God? Throughout Moses' writings, starting with Abraham in Genesis 15, God's word is clear that people are declared righteous before the living God in proper relationship with him, not by any work of man, but by faith in the promises of God, by faith in the work of God. We are declared righteous, meaning we have a relationship with him, a proper relationship with him that we can say he is the Lord my God when you have trusted in him. In the Old Testament, starting with Abraham, who was promised to be the father of many generations, they were trusting in ultimately Jesus Christ, the one to come. In the Old Testament, you were declared righteous, not by works of the law. The works of the law at the end reminded you of your sin as we all fall short of the glory of God, and they trusted in the Christ to come. They were declared righteous in trusting in that promise of the one to come. We're on the other side of the cross. Jesus has come. The eternal son of God did take on flesh. He lived the perfect life we could never live. He was buried in the grave and he rose again. We're declared righteous in proper relationship with the living God when we trust in Jesus who has come. Saying, I know God, there's nothing I can do to earn my way to you. I trust in the one who took my place on the cross. The only way you can love God is to actually be in relationship with him, and that begins by trusting in Jesus. If you're here today and you have never trusted in Jesus Christ, I want you to know that God loves you. He loves you, and he desires that you can say with integrity, the Lord is my God. Have you trusted in Jesus Christ alone as your Lord and Savior? There is no other way. Jesus made it clear. I am the way, John 14, 6. I'm not one of multiple. I am the exclusive way. I'm the truth. You want to talk about choosing life? I am the life. No one comes to God, the Father, except through me. Acts 4, 12. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Have you trusted in Jesus? That's the beginning of loving and the Lord becoming your personal God and having a relationship with him. Romans 10.9 says, if you do this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, if you believe in your heart that Jesus did live that perfect life, he died in the, on the cross, he was buried in the grave, and that he rose from the dead. If you believe in that for salvation, you will be saved. And believers, because the next three points are for those who are in proper relationship with God, we have to remind ourselves of that phrase too. That the Lord is your God today because first and foremost, he chose us. He sent his son out of his love for you and I. That when we trusted in him, we went from dead in sin to alive in Christ and never forget that scripture says in John 6, that no one comes to the father unless he draws them to himself. He was the initiator of your salvation when he convicted you of your sin and you trusted in Jesus Christ. And as believers, never forget, he is your God. We can say today, the Lord is my God. 
That's all that God has done for us. The rest of verse 20 says, what's our response if we truly love him? Look at verse 20, Deuteronomy 30. Love the Lord your God, obeying his voice. If we would sum up Deuteronomy in one word, it's the word obedience. Obedience. It's throughout these sermons of Moses. Therefore, our response to God is this. To love the Lord our God is to obey his word. The word obey, obedience, or obeying appears more in Deuteronomy than any other book of Scripture. To say you love the Lord your God is to obey his word. Deuteronomy 10, 12, and now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, live in reverence of him. How does one do that? You walk in his ways. That's what it means to love him, to serve the Lord, your God, with all your heart and with all your soul. Deuteronomy 26, 17. If you have declared today that the Lord is your God, you will walk in his ways. You will keep his statutes. You will keep his commandments. You will keep his roles. You will obey his voice. Scripture is clear, Old Testament, New Testament, to proclaim you love God is to obey God. Jesus made this clear in the Gospel of John three times, starting in John 14, 15. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Let me put it another way. Verse 24, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. Obedience does not save a person. We're not saved by works. We're saved by the grace of God, by faith in the works of Christ for our salvation. And scripture is clear. Obedience is the mark of a believer. To say you love God, I'm in right relationship with him, will show up in a life of obedience. And the beauty is that as a believer on this side of the cross, even our obedience to God is not of our own power. Jesus went on to say in that chapter in verses 25 and 26 of John 14, all these things I've spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. It's the spirit of God in the life of the believer who empowers us to understand God's word and to obey God's word. And God still puts the responsibility, though, on us because we have to open up his word, read his word, and live out his word. Are we going to be perfect as believers? No. Scripture says to say one is without sin is to deceive yourselves. We will fall and praise God that his grace continues. We have the eternal security we have in Jesus Christ. And, and God said we are to pursue obedience in every aspect of our lives. So practically, what does that look like? It means to say I love God is to obey his word and how I handle my marriage. It means, husbands, if I love my God... I'm going to love my spouse, as scripture says, as Christ loved the church. 
If I love my God, wives, that means you're going to obey God's word and respect your husband as the Christ reveres Christ, as the church reveres Jesus Christ. If you love the Lord your God, that resentment you have for that individual today, you will give to the Lord because to love God is to obey his word, which says you are to forgive as Christ forgave you. To love God is to obey his word, meaning that he has gifted us and he calls us as the body of Christ to use our gifts to build up his church and be a witness to the lost world. To love God is to obey his word. I'm going to use my gifts to serve his church. To love God is to obey his word when he says to go and make disciples of all nations. To love God is to proclaim his truth to those who don't know him. And a theme we see throughout Deuteronomy is to love God is for this generation to tell the next generation the truth of his word. Deuteronomy 6, 6 and 7, we see this multiple times in these sermons. And these words that I have commanded you today will be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. To love God is to tell your children about his word. Loving God is not about coming into a service and having an emotional experience and leaving these doors and acting the same way you did before you came in. To say you love God is to obey his word. That means it's not how much of the Bible you know, it's how much of the Bible we actually do. Someone once said, the parts of the Bible you actually believe are the parts of the Bible you actually do. Let's keep rolling. Begins there with obedience in verse 20. Loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him. That, that phrase, holding fast in scripture, is a phrase of desperation. It's the picture of a young child holding on to their, their father as they fear danger ahead, never wanting to leave his side. You, you cling to the father where you find security in this life. Moses began reiterating that law for the second time in Deuteronomy chapter 5, and he starts with the Ten Commandments, drilling home again to hold fast to God is to make sure that nothing takes his place in your heart. Deuteronomy 5, 6 through 9, I am the Lord your God. I brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord, I am a jealous God. You remember in our attribute series, we said that's an attribute of God. He is a jealous God, but not the way we are jealous at times. His jealousy is absolutely pure and holy, stemming from his pure love for us. Therefore, in response to his love, those who proclaim, I love the Lord my God, will make sure they keep him on the throne of their hearts. As believers, again, we are secure in Christ for eternity. And every day, 
Our sin nature is there waiting to grab hold of our hearts, distract us from our walk with him. We live in a world that entices us every day to take God off the throne of our hearts and put something or someone in his place. We saw that through the old generation. And he's telling this next generation over and over again, hold fast to me. Let nothing in your daily walk take my place on the throne of your heart. Deuteronomy 10, 20, you shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. And by his name, you shall swear. When you think about you shall swear, think about that thing that you put your ultimate trust in, your ultimate hope in. Let's do a heart check today for all of us. Is there anything right now in your life that has become an idol in your life? That is competing with making God your daily priority, your relationship with him. Maybe it's your career and the amount of time and energy you have in that pursuit. Maybe it's money or material things. It's become an idol in your life. Maybe it's an earthly relationship. Young people letting that boyfriend or girlfriend become the it of your heart. Election in two days. Has the election become an idol in your heart? It's all you think about. It consumes you. It's as if the seat of the president is on the throne of your heart instead of God himself. Is there anything in our life right now that God is saying, take that off the throne of your heart, confess it unto me, and say, God, I love you, and I want you back on the throne. I know I'm secure in you, but man, I've gotten distracted from making you the priority. To hold fast to him as believers is to love him and make sure he remains on the throne of our heart. One more. Go back to verse 20. To love the Lord your God is to obey his voice, to hold fast to him. And I love this phrase, for he is your life, the length of your days. God reminds this next generation of Israel and us today that when his people truly love him by obeying his commands, truly love him by keeping him on the throne of their hearts, God says, I won't just be an aspect of your life or a part of your life. I will be your life. I will be the priority of the length of your days on this earth. Going back to that opening question, to love the Lord your God is to find your ultimate meaning in him alone. Does it mean that we don't find meaning in other relationships such as our marriage? No, it does not mean that. Does it mean we don't find uh, meaning in our relationship as a parent to our children? No, absolutely not. Does it mean we, we don't find meaning in our careers or in, in our schoolwork? No, we, we're called to use all of that to bring glory to God. Therefore, there's meaning in all of that. And at the end of the day, we should find our ultimate meaning and purpose in God alone. That if all that was stripped away, and all that was left was your relationship with Jesus, 
you could say that's enough for me. If I could think of a theme question of this book that he's asking this next generation of Israel and that I believe God wants to ask us today is simply this. As your great provider, am I enough for you? Am I enough for you? If I give you nothing else in this life except for the salvation of your soul and to have an intimate relationship with me as your God, is that enough for you? Has something gotten in the way? At times we can be conditional Christians. God, I will, I will love you with all my heart, but just, just give me this relationship first. Give me this job first. Give me this whatever first. Or can we say, you're enough for me, God. And I trust in you enough that if I have nothing else in this life but my relationship with you, I can say that's enough. We're going to end with a song that I believe uh, is a reflective prayer of one who loves the Lord their God by saying he's enough. This song will go through a series of I'm sorry. I mean, that's, that's a relationship talk. God, I'm sorry for going through my agenda with you. God, I'm sorry when I just sing another song and yet my life doesn't reflect a relationship with you. And the chorus goes on to say, I'm not here today for blessings, God. Jesus, you don't owe me anything. <laughs> what you gave me for the salvation of my sin is enough. You don't owe me anything, God. And more than anything that you can do today is I just want you. I just want you. Nothing else, nothing else, nothing else in this world will do. God, I just want you.